This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, Season 2, Episode 7, Little Scorpion. fellow Penny Faithful to Season 2 of Penny Dreadful, Episode 7, Little Scorpion. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings, or maybe even fellow Scorpions. Uh, I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, coming back for Little Scorpion, Episode 7 of Penny Dreadful. This episode, Little Scorpion, was directed by Brian Kirk. This is the second episode he did of Penny Dreadful, but he directs two more this season. Uh, recently directed the action movie 21 Bridges, starring Chadwick Boseman and Sienna Miller, John. Okay, good stuff. Yes, yeah. good old uh, Black Panther there mm-hmm. yeah. in uh, 21 Bridges. Didn't they have to really check to make sure that it was 21 Bridges mm-hmm. that uh, crossed over onto Manhattan Island? I think it was something like there was 90, the original title for the movie was 19 Bridges, and they went, oh, hang on, there's a few more than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, the episode was written by John Logan. John, do you want to tell us the summary for this episode? With a huge thank you to IMDb uh, for providing the summaries for us for each of these episodes. Sure. With the light of day, Ethan returns to his normal self. After Vanessa's experience at the ball, she and Ethan set out for the cut wife's cottage, hoping to find a better weapon to defend themselves. The moon is still full, however, and he teaches her how to shoot a gun for protection. They enjoy their time together, but a chance encounter with Sir Geoffrey Hawkes leads Vanessa to the dark side. Mm. In London, Victor and Ferdinand Lyle continue to decipher the devil's story. Meanwhile, Lily has a date with Dorian Gray, and they end up at Putney's Waxworks, where John Clare sees them together. Gray sends her home in a cab, but she stops at a pub. She accompanies the stranger to his home, where she shows a different side of herself. Certainly does. Really does, doesn't she? I'll definitely be talking about that at my point, but John, do you want to leave us off with yours? Yes, it is the Book of the Dead mm. at the cut wife of Ballantry Moore's former cottage, or as we also know, uh, Joan Clayton. Mm-hmm. Yes, this evil black magic. Um, you know, there is a sense here, uh, as Vanessa says she's going to leave London, it isn't safe. Um, you know, she has this moment where um, you were all there at the ball, yet the lion's still haunted. Um, there's a really nice moment as well where Victor is like, you're not the kind of person... Uh, who would would run away from this fight and mm-hmm. it's not it is to find another weapon or something to defend themselves or something to go on the offensive here and mm-hmm. um, and i suppose always in the back of my mind it, it was this book of the dead exactly and um, that was bequeathed to her by joan clayton before uh, she died along with the rest of, of the cottage here on yeah. ballantry moor yeah we had that question when we watched the episode as to whether the book ended off in her bag or not so nice to nice to at least have the confirmation we knew it was coming back it was definitely that item that was mentioned that you knew was going to be coming back at a later stage
stage, but the warning that was given to her by Joan Clayton that this should only be used when she was on her last legs at the moment before dying is the only time she should be using this. So don't know whether she's gone to her lowest point yet when beginning to use this book. So uh, intriguing how it's being used. It is. I mean, effectively, you know, she was warned that you use it when all options have been exhausted because you would be changed forever. Mm -hmm. And in this, she uses it um, against Sir Geoffrey. And it's interesting because um, at the same time as she uses it against uh, Sir Geoffrey, she is effectively setting uh, his own hounds, uh, the four dogs that he is feeding uh, on him, uh, to feed on him effectively. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, does she know that at the same time, Ethan is there and has gone to Sir Geoffrey's manor with a gun to shoot him? Um, so I'm wondering whether she is doing it to protect Ethan uh, from killing or whether she doesn't know this uh, and is taking it upon herself to um, get her revenge on Sir Geoffrey, yeah. given they have both her and Ethan, this encounter with uh, Sir Geoffrey. I do think he was as awful as ever uh, and you can see maybe why she does turn to this book for sure but Definitely. the 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 great thing that comes from from this in, in her use of the book is that how does it change her yeah. and we have this great moment with her uh, and Ethan where he calls her out as are you happy now being a murderess mm -hmm. um do you know what it is to walk around with someone's body tied around your neck mm -hmm. uh, it's not the first time uh, but you know the second the third or fourth you get numb to killing um you know he really is coming at it from both being in the American cavalry, fighting the Indian wars and all that killing, but also he knows of his transformation yeah. uh, as well. Absolutely. And the point that you're, you were asking the question earlier on, whether she's doing it to protect Ethan or not, because he was there to kill uh, Sir Joffrey. Um, He's, he's going there to protect her. He's had the discussion with her before that he doesn't want her to become a murderer, to, to reach out and take revenge on this person, Joffrey. So he's going there to murder him before she has to because murder doesn't sit as heavily on his soul as it would on an innocent like Vanessa striking out, I suppose. So uh, so that's the reason why he's there. Yes, uh, exactly. I don't think she knows that he's there, but there's only two of them in the house. He's gone out for a while with a gun. So uh, presumably she has a feeling that that's where he might be gone, but she wants to take her own revenge. And that's what's causing the blackness, I suppose, to come at her soul is because taking revenge to kill someone doesn't actually cure you of uh, of that person. It will only uh, lead to worse things is the, is the conversation they have. Exactly. Um, and I, I think that is the forewarning that uh, Joan Clayton tells um, to, to Vanessa in that you will be internally ir ir irrevocably changed, mm -hmm. you know, and, and speaking of souls, Ethan says, you'll never get your soul back. Welcome to the night, Vanessa. Yes. Uh, and I wonder if, you know, is this a fissure between these two? You know, we're talking about their, the love that they couldn't act on. Well, they almost do here. Mm -hmm. there, there is a moment of, um, of, of romance. Um, but they are ripped apart, um, mainly because, you know, Vanessa is, we cannot do this. Um, it's something that, they cannot do so. Yeah. Um, I, I I liked that element here as, as well. Absolutely. That their relationship 
cannot be consummated. Yeah. Um, like, like Vanessa calls out, we are dangerous yes, together. I exactly. Think that's, I think that's just a really interesting touch between the two of them that she knows the two of them being together could destroy the world effectively so and there is um, almost that godly lightning strike oh yes and um, you know that also stops them from going any further it's almost like because you know we have this great uh sort of connection back to um the continuing deciphering of the the verbis diablo mm -hmm. uh with with victor and, and, and mr lyle which is is really uh really good and Mr. Lyle talks about the the dance of the hound and the scorpion forever mm -hmm. circling uh, one another, endlessly circling one another, um, which is is really good. And it, within this um, verbis diablo, what is becoming repeated throughout these different relics is Lupus Day, the Hound of God, and mm -hmm. um, that. There is a, a an obsession, uh, a, a neurosis that has developed within the language because the lupus day is a threat to the devil. Yeah. And so, with this lightning strike, it's that the scorpion and the the hound can't conjoin together; they have to be separate. And it's almost like that it's the lightning strike from God mm -hmm. to to prevent them because all of a sudden they're having to put out a massive fire. <laughs> yes, but in the rain, there's a that that's where they uh, they get the kiss to each other just uh, just after putting out the fire. But uh, yeah, I love that. That's kind of what indicates that to Vanessa. Maybe we're too dangerous here. You know, the, the lightning strike yeah. should have told us to stay clear of each other. But I suppose I like how they use the kind of tropes of the two of them being away together in this uh, in this far off cottage, living together, telling each other stories at night while they're smoking what definitely isn't just tobacco and um, telling their stories about how they grew up. You know, the unheroic story of um of Ethan soiling his own uh, britches because he's on a horse that's too high for him uh, at six years old. Uh, you know, I love those kind of discussions between the two of them. And then obviously uh, her teaching him how to dance. Um, you know, all of these moments which are supposed to lead you to believe that finally, if you've been shipping these two characters since season one <laughs> yeah, and thinking exactly. they're going to get together, well, no, they're definitely not. If they do, it could spell the end of the world. He is supposed to be her protector. He's supposed to be the hand of God that will protect the scorpion from the demon or the devil. So, uh, so I love how they how it's kind of played you know this eternal dance between the two of them yeah it's, it's really really good also have to call out that absolutely wonderful moment in this episode of the transformation of ethan into the into the werewolf um where he goes out into the onto the moors um and you see the flock of sheep who you expect not just one of them uh, will have been killed that night but the the lighting again the the scene where you have one of the one of the lambs being taken out and the blood being spurted in the air across the full moon over the moors i think is just wonderful yes give this director the opportunity to do his version of sherlock holmes and the hand of the baskervilles i think that would well be, that's would it be it's a great evoking of the hand of the baskervilles mm -hmm. I, i'm wondering as well with the with the the lambs whether there's a signifier to the Lamb of God as well. Absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, the, the sacrificial lamb here. Um, and certainly he's sacrificing the lamb rather than Vanessa. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the fact that he's teaching her to shoot. And a bit like um, Evelyn Poole, she seems to be a natural yes, at does. hitting the target, <laughs> uh, whatever I don't that know may how be. That is. I've never picked up a gun before. <laughs> exactly. That's every target perfectly. Um, and of course, the one of her fears are dolls. Um, so, yes. That is possibly going to uh, 
um, lead her into some trouble maybe later on in this series if she ever gets to the coven's house. Yeah. Um, but she does describe them as those eyes staring at you, uh, which I completely agree, Vanessa. It is that. Um, and she, she said, but I had to play with them because you would be seen as socially deviant <laughs> if you weren't playing with a doll. Um, yeah. And that at night she had to kind of knock them knock them over so that they weren't all just staring at you mm. so yes the, the trauma of dolls yeah. the these emotionless dead eyes staring at mm-hmm. you um is certainly something that is uh yeah can scar a child for Absolutely. sure if you think that john couldn't be in love with vanessa ives more uh, this is the episode that cemented their relationship i think <laughs> i'm scared of dolls too says john <laughs> i know exactly how you feel about that vanessa absolutely um so yeah i I think a great moment here of them returning to uh ballantry moor it is a great touchback to episode three night comers uh seeing uh vanessa's relationship with uh joan clayton um i I think it's so it, it is nice with that you know things are seriously shaky at sir malcolm's um house that she needs to start to look for other ways for to protect this company i think it was interesting as well that it is sir malcolm to the point saying earlier that um the the prick on the back of his neck whether he is um influenced or more persuaded by evelyn Poole now that she's kind of mesmerizing him to some extent he's the one that's really trying to prevent her from going away, yeah. you know, because Evelyn Paul desperately wants to capture Vanessa for her master. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it, it's, it's an interesting sort of, uh, new take with, with Sir Malcolm since his official sort of engagement in that sense with Evelyn Pool and, and with her various bits of magic to, I think, mesmerize him. And I yeah. think that's why he's trying to stop her from going. Yeah, very much so. And I like that Vanessa gives that warning to everybody else. Just keep an eye on him. You know, she won't take Simbene with her uh, to this uh, property that she owns to Ballantry Moor um, because Simbene needs to be there to make sure that if anything happens with Malcolm, He'll take care of it kind of thing. But we also have Victor left behind to watch over and just to make sure that nothing bad happens to uh, to Malcolm. But um, but I like that his response to her retelling of this story is, oh, it must have been the light. You definitely didn't see it. Nothing actually happened to you at all um, from Sir Malcolm. Whereas in the past and at the beginning of this season, we know that their relationship is much tighter, much closer than it had been before. And of course, he knows that she gets visions and he has always paid t- attention to them before. So she knows instantly something wrong with sir malcolm here uh let's get out of there so uh yeah absolutely and i think the the interesting thing is here um you know vanessa does try to extract what it is that um ethan as well um is she knows there is something special about him from mm. a supernatural point of view she knows that things at least within the american uh, indian wars and the way he talks about how he has um been in those wars he talks about being most at peace at an indian graveyard mm. and she knows there's something spiritual or supernatural about him whether she knows it's a werewolf i don't know but she does try to extract that here in this episode and he 
doesn't tell her, you know, he, he certainly doesn't go down the route that he did with, uh, Sembene, uh, and he gets himself out of the cottage just before he, um, slaughters the lambs on, on the moors. But certainly I, I thought, you know, this circling of, uh, the hound and the scorpion mm-hmm. is a great descriptor for these two characters, for definitely, sure. Definitely. Uh, I was I was intrigued by the conversation that they have between each other, Vanessa and Ethan, about what's happening to Malcolm, where Vanessa's kind of going, oh, well, Malcolm's in love and he's just forgotten about all of us. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, you know, does she really believe that or does she think something is happening here? You know, Ethan is saying that he's just trying to find his place in his world. Remember, his kids are dead. His wife's now dead. Um, he will find his place in the world and then come back to you the same way that I did when I was with Brona. So uh, I never forgot about you, Vanessa. He won't forget about you kind of thing. So uh, I like the discussion that they have. I'm just wondering why Vanessa isn't sen- sensing something a little more yeah. supernatural in what's happening with uh, with Malcolm. But she's, I'm sure she's very hopeful that nothing that bad is happening. Yeah, to, that's you know. true. That's true. This episode was really quite focused on what was going on with, with Ethan and, and with Vanessa. So not a huge amount more to talk about, but I do want to highlight, I suppose, the section with Lily going on her night out in London. Um, because it's quite a significant moment, I suppose, for the character yeah. of Lily. You know, she's been treated as this innocent that's just come back to life without any knowledge of anything that's been going on in her previous life. The one person who has a very strong connection to that other than Ethan is Dorian Gray. And she goes out on her date with him. Um, You can tell from Victor that he doesn't really want her anywhere outside. (laughs) Absolutely. But he feels massively clingy and doesn't want to be the clingy boyfriend. So he lets her go off and do whatever she wants to do. You know, (laughs) Um, she tells him, if you want me to stay here, if you want, if you want to force me to stay here with you, I will absolutely do that. But he can't do that for her. Uh, So Lily goes out on her night out with Dorian and ends off once again in the uh, in the Putney Waxwork Museum of Exposition. Um, so yes. A nice little underlining here of what's going on as we have them look at each of the gruesome moments in their life. She sees the aftermath of what happened to Ethan after she died. Ethan is the one that destroyed the uh, Mariner's Bar. She sees the grotesqueness of what happened there and you see the reaction from Lily that's supposed to be a small country girl who's never seen anything as she says uh, seeing the destruction that took place yep. from Ethan's hand which I like, I like the touch of that just before she sees effectively what happened to her taking place in this scene that's been put together of Burke and Hare the grave robbers yep. who've been robbing bodies to give them to scientists to do their experiments on um, you know it's interesting does she make the connection that that's what's happened to her yet um, does she she think that she could possibly have died and come back because of this reveal of what's happening. Remember, each of the people that we've had brought back to life, uh, Proteus and the creature now, John Clare, and now her, start to piece together their own lives over time. Does that include them being brought back to life? Do they eventually remember that they were brought back to life by the hand of Victor Frankenstein? And is this a first step that's happening here, that she is seeing grave robbers who take dead bodies give them to scientists for experiments does she start to feel that is that what happened to me is that why i'm so different yeah i mean it it feels like there is a flicker of recognition there because dorian calls uh birkenau her the resurrection men that's right um you know not the grave robbers as we understand them to be uh where they're used for anatomy and Mm -hmm. dissection uh by medical scientists um it he calls them the resurrection men and it's you know, they're given to scientists and we don't know what happens to them, you know, what they do with them. So 
there does seem to be a flicker there from um from Lily for sure. Yeah. Um and certainly with the Mariners in, that's where she lives. So again, it, it's two points uh to her uh, her life in, mm-hmm. in a sense, and certainly her previous life with uh, the Mariners in. So certainly something is being drawn out of her by Dorian. Um, even just the way he, he says to her, you know, you have a coolness of a touch and you have that constant sense of discovery. Yeah. And so she might be looking around and it might be connecting with her. Why at the age of, you know, a young lady, um, in her, what, mid twenties, maybe mm-hmm. that she is being treated like a child yeah. as though she's just been born. She's just come out of the, the womb mm-hmm. that, you know, that, so that sense of discovery that a child has and um, the coolness of touch, this idea, you know, as we saw with, uh, Lavinia at Putney's with John Clare, where she says something not right about him because yeah. the coolness of touch it, it's like he's not alive so these things are probably all being pieced together by uh, the regenerating neurons in lily and mm-hmm. um, but ultimately it comes to a fairly interesting outcome uh, does, after yeah. Dorian has put her uh, into a cab to take her home she, you know she can't, she stops it prematurely to go in to a pub yeah, absolutely. Uh, pretty brutal. Um, little touches of Brona coming back in here. Um, a little bit anyway. Yeah. With, uh, Lily picking up a guy from a pub, you know, that definitely would have been something that Brona would have done in the past. You know, she's seeing a little bit of that, but it's not Brona. It's a much more murderous character. Brona would never have done this to one of her clients. You know, she went person to person trying to make money effectively, trying to make her way in London. Whereas Lily goes home with this guy to his house. And then while they're having sex, you see that moment of power switch on as she flips him over on his back and then chokes him to death. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the music is great here. Oh, it's yeah. such um, an ominous score, real sense of threat. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. It's like, what does this pertain to for Lily? Is it that she will become a threat to men uh, that trade women in this way through through the brothel house? Maybe. Um, you know, so far she's been controlled. She's even been resurrected all by men. You know, um, it, again, it, it feels like it's something that Dorian is drawing out of her. Um, but certainly does it potentially put Victor in trouble? Yeah. It's certainly the only person probably that could, uh, counter this is John Clare with the same strength that she probably possesses. So mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to see what this pertains to with, with Lily. Yeah. Um, and, and how this changes her. Because as you say, it's that sudden realization. She isn't this innocent, newly resurrected person. She's mm-hmm. just gone out and done something, um, pretty horrific. Um, but to what end, for what reason? And I'm really intrigued to see this. Absolutely, yeah, because, you know, the stark contrast almost at the uh, beginning of episode six where we had the domesticity of the character of Lily, you know, getting up in the morning and cooking eggs for her new boyfriend in Victor, you know, that seemed so stark in comparison to yeah. Brona who would get up in the morning, grab a bottle of whiskey and drink it with Ethan, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so different between those two characters. So, And she, she did shepherd's pie as well. She certainly did. She was making that, yeah. Uh, but you're wondering whether the there's some significant difference within this character being trained by Victor to be a different person than she used to be. Is she starting to see the differences? Will she strike back, I suppose, against uh, everybody that's making her do the things that they want yeah. her to do, which is very different to the Brona character that we knew. She did what she needed to do 
and she did what she wanted to do, which is very different from what they're trying to make Lily do, I suppose. Um, that's it from my point. It was just, just to highlight that because I thought it was a fascinating side of that character to see uh, on screen in this episode. Uh, let's see what happens with uh, new Lily and her murder streak in the, in the other episodes. Uh, any notes from the episode? There wasn't much that I had uh, from the episode that we haven't talked about. No, I mean, the only note I had was it was a nice little reference by Mr. Lyle. Um, you have him and Victor talking about what is love except a creature waiting to mess with you effectively, <laughs> uh, you know, to cause you trauma. Uh-huh. Um, and Mr. Lyle has a nice love. Um, is the scorpion's sting in ancient Egypt that once it's done, it, it, it's infected you. Uh, this idea of love as an infection. So mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, another nice little reference back to scorpions, but also, uh, you know, ancient Egypt um, and and th- this idea of Amun-Ra and Amutet um, conjoining and, and wiping out everyone on Earth other than the, the true believers or, or their followers. Yeah. Um, you know, he calls him legion because he can come in many forms mm-hmm. uh, so again it's just another little reminder that you know like in season one with all the hieroglyphics on the the vampire's body uh, there is still that element of the ancient egyptian uh tale of amun ra and amatet yeah. uh, conjoining and effectively being the the bringers of destruction. Yes, yes, or the master and uh, and Vanessa, obviously. Yes, <laughs> from this exactly. So, uh, we'll see. I do want to call out the one line from uh, the dancing uh, between Miss Ives and uh, and Ethan, where Ethan has just taught her how to shoot a gun, and the best thing to do when you're killing somebody is not look in your opponent's eyes. And we have <laughs> yeah. the beautifully delivered line from uh, from Eva Green of "Dancing is the opposite of homicide." You always look in your opponent's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> What great. a great way to yeah. teach Ethan how to dance. Great line. Great line. <laughs> That's it for part four of our discussions about Petty Dreadful season two. This episode, we discussed episodes five to seven. Overall, middle part of Petty Dreadful season two, John. What are, what are you thinking about the middle section of the season? I think it, I think it's building really nicely uh, around uh, the witches and and Ethan's story. You know, I, I really, really did um, enjoy this. Mm-hmm. I would, I think, at this stage, be giving it about four to four and a half dizzying panoramas uh, out of five. I, like um, I, I really liked it. I think um, episode seven, going back to the cut wife's cottage, um, it's an interesting take, probably. I think with, with the longer series of 10 episodes for mm-hmm. season two, you know, they're able to do a bit more of this and it really adds to the character, but it, it felt like it slightly took out of me that whole bloody rain in the ball right. uh, and this, the intensity of the witches coming at her. I, I, you know, this fight for their life, but. Mm-hmm. I, I think there needed to be this reconnection to the cottage and this book of the dead for sure, because I think that's their only option to, to dealing with the witch's coven. Um, and I, I like they drew out, um, Vanessa's fear of dolls because, of course, uh, that will prove a bit of an obstacle if she is to go and, uh, sort of neutralize her fetish yes. down in, in that, uh, basement yes it might might have might have i wonder if the reason why they did this in episode seven having the moment where vanessa kills sir, jo- sir joffrey uh, i wonder is it because of the longer season whereas 
if this had been season one where we only had eight episodes, it most likely would have been one of Hecate's sisters that Vanessa would have killed uh, using that book, taking one of them out and then moving on. Whereas if you have that longer series, you're able to have a completely different storyline, which is what this is. This is showing you her tooling up and getting ready to go after them, but not necessarily involving the witches. So uh, so maybe that's what it is in this episode. I've really enjoyed looking back at, at this season of, uh, of Penny Dreadful. Every episode feels so interesting to watch again uh knowing how the how the series is going and how it's wrapping up and how beautifully written it is by john logan really really enjoying uh this time going back we hope you are enjoying as well if you want to subscribe to the podcast to get the rest of the penny dreadful podcasts make sure you go over to tvpodcastindustries.com to get the rest of our discussions about penny dreadful that's it for our discussions on episode seven of penny dreadful season two we'll be back next time with our discussion about episode eight Memento Mori. Yes, thank you so much, fellow Darklings, for joining us. It is a pleasure, as always, speaking to you in the Verbius Diablo. Uh, <laughs> so looking forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah. Remember, fellow Darklings, keep watching, keep listening, and keep screaming. Don't play the podcast backwards. <laughs> Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.